Hi, this is Darla Trendler, and welcome to Spiritually Minded Mom. My goal is to help you gain confidence in your ability to hear and follow God's voice in motherhood and in life. Listen to hear interviews with all kinds of moms who are learning to navigate motherhood by partnering with our Heavenly Parents. Welcome to episode 97 of the Spiritually Minded Mom podcast. I am so excited to be sharing this very special episode with you. Today, I'm sharing an interview that is part of the first module of my new course, A Latter-day Mom's Guide to Spiritually Empowering Your Teen. And yes, you heard that right. I'm giving you the first module of my new course totally for free. So I'll be playing the interview for you next. And you can also go to my membership site to get the workbook for this module. The workbook will help you learn, reflect, and apply the things you hear in this interview and also the other interviews that are in the course. Now, I have frequently said that when you act, you feel power. And my goal with this course is to do more than just give you some good information about helping your teen. I want to help you act to spiritually empower your teen. And the workbook is going to help you to be able to do that. So you can get all of the details for accessing the membership site in the show notes at spirituallymindedmom.com. So you're going to hear the interview next here on the podcast. Then you can go to the membership site to get the workbook. And before we dive in, um, I want to tell you why I created this course, The Latter-day Mom's Guide to Spiritually Empowering Your Teen. So if you've been around my podcast or my Instagram account for any amount of time, there's probably one thing you know about me. I love teenagers, and I'm on a mission to help other moms be excited for this challenging but rewarding season of motherhood. But that doesn't mean I have it all figured out. In fact, my husband and I are learning new things all the time when it comes to parenting teens. But ironically, there was a time in our parenting where we kind of thought we had it all figured out. We had four little kids and we had the goal of having a gospel-centered home and we were doing all the things. Family home evening, check. Family scripture study, check. Weekly church attendance, check. Teaching obedience, check. We thought our checklist approach would result in kids who did all the right things when it came to living the gospel. And then reality struck. Our oldest turned into a teenager, and we slowly started to realize that we had a really big flaw in our carefully laid out plan. Our teen was making good choices, but we realized she was doing it because she wanted to be obedient to us, her parents. She wasn't being obedient because she loved God. We tended to micromanage our kids and make decisions for them. We thought we were keeping them safe, but what we were really doing was taking away their agency, and they weren't learning to choose their own path and think for themselves. So my husband and I, we had to do some major course correcting in our approach to teaching the gospel and raising children who could leave our home and know how to stand on their own spiritually. So basically what we had to do is we had to throw the checklist out the window. We learned that spiritually empowering our teenagers wasn't a one-size-fits-all approach. We knew we couldn't be everything for them. We were human and we couldn't possibly know everything they needed but we learned that we could point them to Christ and let him give them what they needed in their own personal spiritual journey. So my husband and I are still in the middle of raising teenagers. Our kids are ages 20 to 13, and we still make mistakes all the time. We are looking to God for guidance, and we're seeking out people who have been where we are who can help and guide us. And that's why I'm launching my course, The Latter-day Mom's Guide to Spiritually Empowering Your Teen. I found people to interview 
who have raised teens and also have knowledge in particular aspects of the gospel. And each module includes an interview like the one you're about to hear, as well as a workbook to help you learn, reflect, and apply the principles that are taught. Because remember, we have to act. We can't just hear information and think that's good. We have to act on it. So I want you to be able to learn, reflect, and apply everything that you're learning in this course. So you're going to learn things like how to teach the gospel in a way that avoids lectures and promotes connection, how to embrace agency and teach your teen who they really are, how to connect, listen, and love your teen, how to have family scripture study that actually helps your teen want to study the scriptures on their own, how to help your teen recognize the Holy Ghost in their everyday life, and then what to do if your teen is spiritually disengaged altogether. So these will be the main modules and there will be even more in bonus content of the course. If you're a mom to a teen or soon to be mom to a teen who wants to throw the checklist out the window and point your teen to the savior to develop their own spiritual path, I hope you'll join me in this course. So as I said at the beginning, next you're going to hear the full interview for module one and it's with Jerry Gerard. He is the author of a book called Partners with God and he's also a father of 12. Jerry and his wife have been mentors to me and my husband, and he's been where you are 12 times. And I know you're going to love what he has to share about teaching the gospel in your home in a way that avoids lectures and promotes connection. So remember to go to the show notes at spirituallymindedmom.com and you'll get access to the membership site and the workbook for module one. And that's where remember you're going to be able to learn, reflect, and apply on the teachings that you learn from Jerry in this interview. You can also pre-order the course right now and be ready when it officially launches on July 13th. I am so excited for this course and for the ways it has helped me in my parenting of my own teens, and I cannot wait to have you join me. And now here's my interview with Jerry Gerard. Welcome to my interview today. I am excited to have my guest. His name is Jerry Gerard, and he was born and raised in a small Idaho town. He served a mission in Independence, Missouri, and received a bachelor's degree from Gonzaga University. He spent 30 years in commercial real estate, and he and his wife, Melanie, are the parents of 12 children, plus four others who have lived with them for extended periods of time. And he's also the author of the book, Partners with God. And in addition, he has served as a young men's president, as a bishop twice, and a counselor in the state presidency. And I'm excited to welcome Jerry Gerard today. So thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. It's really great. And um, I have to just have full disclosure. You were my bishop many years ago, and that was how we met. And and you're still um, willing to talk to me. That's good. <laughs> I'm still willing to talk to you. Um, that, that was a great experience. I, I have to say personally, like um, when, when my husband and I met you, we were just starting parenthood and all of that. And we've always looked to you and your wife um, as kind of guides and, and, you know, how would the Gerards do that? And that, yeah, that's been a great blessing to us to know you from the very beginning of our journey as parents. So, well, that's very kind. I often tell people, if you don't look too close, you, if you just look <laughs> at us, the Christmas picture always looks great. Just don't show up at our house uh, un, un, unannounced. That may not look as good, but I, well, really I think any, anyone could say <clears throat> that. And, and definitely your, your family is someone that we've admired for a long time. So I'm really grateful to be able to share um, about the book that you've written and the, and the, and some of your thoughts about parenting and specifically motherhood. Um, but what I wanted you to talk, uh, talk about today is I'm focusing on helping, helping mothers help their teenagers learn gospel principles. Pretty much right out of second Nephi 31. 
that goes through the exact uh, means for becoming converted and, and doing those things. And I think that's exactly right. That is the doctrine of Christ in the form that we practice it. One of my favorite scriptures that, that doesn't really add, but gives a little different uh, take on it is what the Savior said um, in 3 Nephi 27, and he called it his gospel. And the gospel was that he had come into the world uh, to be lifted up. And in the process of that atoning sacrifice, he would lift all men unto him. And so I like that concept of the gospel because that's the basis for what really happens. And I think it's very important that our kids get that. What uh, Elder Ashton's and 2 Nephi 31 teaches us is how we implement that doctrine that applies to the gospel, which is the, the basis of the gospel, I think, is that we're all in a fallen state. We all need a savior. We all have to have that. And once we understand that, especially once our kids understand that, then they look to him and then they follow that pattern of the doctrine to repent and to be baptized and so forth. So it's kind of a, I kind of see it as the gospel portion of it is the precursor to understanding how we actually practice the doctrine. Um, and that is a, an acknowledgement that there is a need for a savior and that, and that we need him desperately. For sure. So when you look back on your life, how do you think you learned about the doctrine of Christ? Do you have any experiences or um, examples of how you learned it as, as a youth? My, uh, my father joined the church when I was three years old. My mother came from a less active, I guess that maybe that's not the right term we use anymore, but a family that was members of the church but didn't go much. Um, and then they, uh, she, once she got married to my dad, tried really hard to have my older siblings go to church. And then after I was about three, my dad joined the church, had a, a very powerful experience and, and decided to join the church, much to the chagrin of his family, who didn't like him much after that. But, and so we tried really hard, because I was the fifth of six children, they tried really hard to implement gospel teachings, but they had very little experience. And, and it was difficult for them. And by then I had uh, brothers and sisters who were closing in on teenage years, and, and that's hard all of a sudden to change your whole family pattern. So the, the thing that I learned about the doctrine of Christ is not so much the theology of it as the practice. My father was um, compassionate to a fault. Um, anything that people needed, he gave them. He encouraged them. He encouraged us to participate. We have, have a, a list of experiences in my life where he was generous and kind and Christ-like in his example. And to me, my, in my younger years, that was... The doctrine of Christ is doing what the Savior would do uh, more than him teaching me the theology, which frankly, he didn't really know that much about in terms of the scriptures. He wasn't well versed in them. So it was more of your dad just gave you the example of what it looked like. He taught us by example how to serve and, and bless others and to always take the opportunity to do good. So how, so I mentioned at the beginning that you've had, you have 12 kids. So you've been through teenagers. Yes, I think you're you. still in the middle of a teenager, right? I've got a senior and, and a 12-year-old, yes. Right, okay, and then and all these other kids that are grown. So you, you've lived this. So why do you think teaching the doctrine of Christ to teenagers is important? Well, it's important because, like I mentioned in that definition of the gospel, is that um, all of us need this. All of us need it desperately to understand that there's a Savior and to understand that without Him, 
we cannot return um, and live with our Heavenly Father again or be forgiven of our sins. And so that one of the reasons for teenagers knowing that is because in the midst of the turmoil of being a teenager, when you have so many uh, issues that come into play, so many pressures from different people and circumstances that uh, really have an impact in your life, um, it's important for them to understand so that they will be careful about what they do, the choices they make. I think if you, if you look at your associates and friends, many of them uh, have a life that was hugely impacted by their teenage experience. Some of them started on a really bad path and, and maybe took them years to get off that path or they never got off it at all. And, and others started on a good path and it helped them to maintain testimony and family and all of those good things. And it was largely because the teenage years are very formative and very important. We, we used to say um, years ago, uh, as our kids were leaving the house, we would say DDDT, triple DT, which meant don't do dumb things. Uh, because <laughs> it, was, it was important for them, I think, to, to connect what they believed and why they believed it with how they behaved. And so it, we, we tried to help them understand that the gospel is important for you not to just know about, but to actually practice now, because you're going to be in situations where you make decisions and they might hurt you down the road if you're not careful. Yeah, it really is such a, a fundamental thing for them to learn and that does affect the rest of their life. So, clearly. so clearly we understand that it's important to teach our children this doctrine and you know, a mother. So if there's a mother out there that they really want their children to understand and internalize, you know, these, these things about faith and repentance and baptism and the Holy ghost and during to the end, where, where can a mother start? I think it's really important, especially if we're talking specifically about teenagers to understand that this is a different animal than they are when they're young. Mm -hmm. Younger kids have a tendency to be trusting and confident and secure with parents. Uh, a typical teenager for them to develop appropriately actually have to exercise some independence. They have to go out and do some things. Um, otherwise, they're never going to be self-reliant or take care of themselves. And so we, in, in a way, this sounds kind of odd, but we have to remove, because uh, part of that development and in independence is battling against us periodically. They have to push against us because we're the ones that are right there all the time. So we're the ones that they're going to question. We're the ones that are going to have to uh, figure out a way. And so if what we're trying to do is push on them something, um, they, they're going to question it. They're going to wonder about it. There'll be a few kids that are Nephi's that won't, but many of them will do that. That's a natural approach and, they, and we should want that. So I hope this makes sense, but we almost have to remove the teaching from us. We have to place it in another source. And so this is what I love about the scriptures. I, I can show them as we read the scriptures each day, we can read an experience and that experience teaches them something that I didn't have to tell them. And most of the time I don't even have to reinforce it much because it's, it's right there and the spirit will do the teaching. That's the key, it has to be the spirit. Years and years ago, we had three little girls, and they were fighting all the time about whose shoes, and you took my shirt, and you know how kids do. Mm -hmm. and, and one morning, we had a, a magnificent experience that changed my thought process in this. They came out, and we talked. We were working that year on the stories of the Old Testament in our scripture study, and we taught them 
the story about Joseph being sold into Egypt. His brothers sold him into Egypt. And of course, they're wide-eyed and, and young and listening to this story and going through, having gone through all this battle recently. And then we read the part, I think it's in Genesis 26 or somewhere in there, about how Joseph came when he saw his brothers and he fled from them and he wept because he now he, he was reunited with his brothers. And these girls started to cry. They, they felt in the power of that story, what, how it related to their life. And immediately when we had finished scriptures, we heard them talking to each other. It's okay if you borrow my shoes, I don't mind. And they, they implemented that in their life from that experience. And we didn't have to say anything. We just had to provide that example there. And so that's why I love the scriptures. They are full of examples where the teaching isn't really coming from me. It's coming from the record of, of other people, but also primarily from the spirit of the Holy Ghost as it teaches them. And that also motivates them to find those wonderful experiences in the scriptures so that eventually the goal is to get them to own it, not to look to me. I don't want you to look to me. I want you to look to God and, and the spirit of the Holy Ghost. I just want to facilitate that and get out of the way so it doesn't, it's not personal. So we're not fighting about it and I'm not trying to tell you what to do and all of those things. I want you to come to that conclusion. And once you do, then you're okay. Then, then, then you'll be fine the rest of your life. Oh, that is amazing. Like you just gave a whole lot of mothers hope. <laughs> because I think, I mean, I, as, a, as a mother myself, as a woman, we kind of think, tend to take everything on ourselves and think we have to do it all. And, you know, you well, just well, remove in, that. Like, we in can... that vein, let, let me share with you something that when, you know, before I wrote this book, part of it was I, I read a lot of books on parenting and the thought occurred to me one day, Heavenly Father is the best parent. So I'm going right. to read the scriptures and try to understand what he said. There are three wonderful examples. There's, well, there's way more than this, but these are the three that came to mind that I think apply to this. The, the examples in the Book of Mormon, the very first chapter of the very first book says, I, Nephi, having been born of goodly parents, therefore I was taught somewhat in all the language of my father. That the very first thing he mentions is that he was taught by his father. Now, if you go to Enos, Enos 1, there's only one chapter. And so the first verse said, Enos, I was taught by my father because he was a just man. And I know that because he taught me in all of these language and all of the other things he was taught. And then when you go to Alma 36, you know that Alma the Younger, in the midst of being struck down by an angel, the first thing he remembered was to, I remember to have heard my father prophesy about one Jesus Christ. Now here you have three different kids from completely different circumstances. One is a Nephi, who, who was obedient from day one and sought to understand that stuff. One is Enos, who I always tease was, we don't know much about him because he only had one chapter in the whole book. And, and, but we assumed that he was okay, although he might have been hunting on Sunday. I always think that. <laughs> <laughs> so who knows? And then you have Alma the Younger, and all three of them are completely different people. But the teaching that they received early on brought them all back to the same place in the end, in different ways, because mm -hmm. the Spirit worked with them in different ways. One of them, when he first heard the message from his father about leaving Jerusalem, the second one, while he was out on his own contemplating this stuff and the words that his father had said, the Spirit sunk them deep into his soul because they, they were already there. Now when it's time was there, and our kids have those experiences, when we're not there, 
they will be prompted by the Spirit. And then, of course, Alma, who, after he had done some terrible things, the scriptures call him the vilest of sinners, um, he, he came back around and all three of them ended in the, in the same place. I think that's a significant example and, and, and gives hope because we can recognize that our role isn't to guarantee that our kids turn out great. Right. Our role is to teach them in a way that when the Lord is ready to reveal it, and if they are willing, um, and sometimes even if they're not willing, he will make it known to them because of our faithfulness in teaching the gospel. Another scripture that I love, 2 Nephi 25, 26, we talk of Christ, we rejoice in Christ, we preach of Christ, we prophesy of Christ, we write according to our prophecies that our children may know, this is the important point, to what source they may look for a remission of sin. That presupposes that they're going to sin. So if your whole focus with your teenage kids is to make sure they don't sin, you're probably not on the right page with God. Every one of us commits sin. So the important thing is to understand where we look to get over it. Now, I certainly hope it isn't really severe sin that causes long-term serious issues, but it might be. And like Alma, and does that mean that we give up or we stop teaching? No. Or stop loving? No. It just means that if we have taught that in these formative years, they will know how to get back. And, and, and the Spirit will prompt them and help them, hopefully. Yeah, I love that, that... Um, you know, and all those examples you shared too, like we can look at our own kids. I mean, you have 12 and I'm sure you don't have any two that are exactly the same, right? I have four, like they are all so different and we have to approach them differently, but we have this principle that we can point them to the savior, all of them, no matter what their personalities are, no matter what, and let, let the spirit do the work. That's the key. And and I, and I think one of the things, and this, this happened to me years ago, uh, I spent a lot of time staring at the ceiling in the middle of the night, <laughs> wondering about <laughs> kids. Um, and one of those times when I did, I I went out to our uh, family room. We had a picture of all 12 kids on the wall there, and it was 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, and I thought if I went out there, I wouldn't wake up Melanie. And and I looked at them, and I wondered, and I hoped, and I prayed, and I thought about them. And a, and a powerful spiritual impression came to me that I was doing exactly what God does that he looks at us, he hopes for us, he encourages us, he prays for us, he doesn't interfere with our agency, he gives us all the right to choose. And then the powerful thought came, this is why you're a parent, because you believe, and the church teaches this, eventually we will become like God. There is no better way to do that than to have a similar experience being responsible for children. That's why we're, I believe we're partners with him, because he allows us to bring his children into our home and for a time practice what he practices, learn what he has learned in this process. So it it elevates us in a way if we try to understand it the way he does to really be educated. So so most, most of parenting is not about raising kids. It's about learning ourselves how we should behave and become like God. And in the process, if we get really good at that, sometimes we're okay with the kids, but that still is no guarantee to them because they right. still have agency and then they're going to go through the same process as well. Yeah, that's that's definitely a thought that I've had a lot recently that it really isn't about this checklist. And if I do all these things, then my kid's going to turn out. I think what, it, what it's really about is who we become and oh, clearly. that we become more like our Heavenly Father through this process of learning how to be like him. And parenting is a great classroom 
to be able to do that. The, the sure. best. And, and I would tell you that this is, you'll get me off on a tangent here somewhere. I'll try not to be, <laughs> but, but you know, the things teach about the oath and covenant, the priesthood that ultimately that, that his dominion will be an everlasting dominion. And, and that the, the people will flow to him, the power of other people, because they see who he is and they love him and they want to be there. And I think that is the goal of every parent. So when I think of my kids, there would be nothing that would make me happier for them to think, I want to go see my dad because yeah. I see him as a wonderful person. Now, just imagine if that translates to their heavenly father, if they really want to be with him really want to spend time with him because he is the kind of person now that's i haven't been that kind of person I, i'm trying but yeah. but but in the process that's what this is all about I believe. yeah and i and i think that really is that's a comforting and a hopeful thought that Clearly. we don't have to be everything for our kids we Clearly. don't know everything but they have a savior who does and we can point them to him so how do you think i mean what are some of the ways that you pointed your kids to the savior and, and not to you, but to, to help them to have a relationship with him. Well, I think it, I think it varies. And I think it's really important to understand just like he does with us that depending on where they are in their life, they need that approach in different ways because they don't understand things. It's like a person said one time that made complete sense to me. Once you pass through immaturity, you can no longer comprehend it. And so I have parents who come in and say, my teenage kid did this, and I have no idea what he's thinking. What, what was he thinking? And I say, well, when you were 16 and did something <laughs> very much the same, what were you thinking? That the point is you weren't. And, and right. so, and he's not going to either. So you have to get over that and stuff and start to understand how can I speak to them in a language that they understand? I think it's interesting because the gospel says that eventually it'll be that the gospel we preach to every man in his own tongue. And I think, well, there's a teenage tongue and there's a, a, a toddler tongue. And those are tongues too. It's not just about Spanish and English and French. It's about understanding a, a language that they can understand. And so for little kids, we, we try a lot of things that try to make the, the stories of the scriptures, like I mentioned with Joseph and into Egypt, but also, you know, um, uh, Brother um, Robinson's uh, book on the Bleeding Christ, when, when they're younger, the, the bicycle parable mm -hmm. was a wonderful, many of your listeners probably heard that, and was a wonderful way that they could make a connection with something that they understood. Uh, another one for me was I re was recently with several of my grandchildren, um, five grandchildren from our oldest daughter, and we were sitting there on a Sunday afternoon having to talk. And, and, and I was kind of prompted in, in this story telling them, I thought, how can I teach them in a way, they're about three years old to 12, how can I teach them in a way that they'll get this concept? And so what I did is told them a story that I made up about an older brother who was a really good kid. He was a straight A student and he helped everybody and he was a great kid. And he had a younger brother that was three or four years old. And he was out, the older brother was out in the backyard with his dad helping with yard work. And the three-year-old was bouncing around and then pretty soon they noticed that he wasn't there anymore. So the dad asked the older brother, hey, can you go check on your brother? So he went out in front of the house and here's his little brother on a bicycle in the middle of the road. And here comes a big truck that's sitting up high enough that it can't see that little boy on the bicycle. And so in a moment, that older brother had to decide, if I'm going to save him, I have to risk my own life. And so he ran to him and pushed him out of the way and of course gets hit by the truck and dies. 
And, and in the moment, these kids are, now they're really listening to this story because it makes a lot of sense to them. And I said, so how do you feel about that older brother? And they, they're almost emotional in explaining what a, what an incredible thing to think that he would do that for his little brother. And how do you think his little brother felt about him for having done that for him so he could continue to live and so forth. And they expressed how that was. They had that opportunity. And then I said, now this story isn't true, but there's one exactly like it that is true. That's exactly what the Savior did for each of us. He knew that he was sacrificing his very life for us to be able to live and to come back in the presence with his father. And he did that and he made that choice and he did it. And there's some tears shed and some connection made about what that all meant to them. And then we asked them about what, how do you think we should feel and how do you think we should act related to that? So as, as little kids, those, those are things that it made. Now the teenage thing is a different crowd. And so in the teenage thing, we try to make it an if and then. Like if these things happen, then these things happen. It's just more matter of fact. It's like, look, this is the atonement that you've been taught your whole life really matters. So if you decide to use this, then you can keep from having to be punished for your own sins. And, and you can, you'll see this, you get this blessing. Now you don't have to, you get to choose that. But in most kids who are developing the capacity to think rationally, they, they think about that. They, and if we're not pushing it and saying, you better do this, you better do this, we just present to them what the concept is, they start to understand, well, what is the best thing for me to do? What is the best approach? And two, two really quick stories, I'm taking too much time for this, but two really quick stories was one, when my son, he was an early teenager, we were driving down the road and a city crew was out digging a trench and there was a backhoe on the end. The backhoe was sitting quiet and there were like five or six guys in the trench shoveling away. And my son said, did you see that? Did you see that? He said, they're digging with shovels when the backhoe is just sitting there. That's like, and he paused for a minute and then he said, that's like suffering from your own sins instead of using the atonement. And I thought, bingo, he's, mm -hmm. he's starting to make the connection that there are better ways to do this. We either have to work it out ourselves, which isn't very pleasant, according to Dr. Kevin's 19, we bleed at every pore, or we accept the Savior's atonement and make that change. The second one is, is the connection with that. Our daughter, um, two of our daughters served missions, one now, one in a few years ago, and, and she and I used to talk a lot. She did a foreign exchange study abroad in the college. She would call me a lot and talk. And she said she she told me an experience before you could call and talk to your missionary she told me of being there one day with a companion who had lots of lots of trouble and the mission president told her you you get two months and if you can't help her out then we're sending her home and so and she was struggling she was really struggling and she went into her room and she was crying and she she laid down and she said if i could just talk to my dad i could just talk to him for me i know he could help me figure this out and then she had a spiritual prompting that told her you can I'm right here and you can talk to me at any time. And in that moment, she recognized and transitioned to her real father, her father in heaven, who could help way better than I could. And she learned to pray and she learned to get that. And so that the connection with God and the atonement and with the Savior became real to her in that life. And so that was, that was an important day for us and for her, obviously. So those are examples of things. If you teach, if you make it the scriptures that teach, if you use resources without telling them 
don't do this. This is what you need to do. You just look at it and then you share your own experience, your own testimony of things without promoting you. you now, see, you should do this too. You don't have to say any of that. The spirit teaches all of those things and they will see your example and, and, and try to live it and try to make that same connection. Yeah, I love I love those examples because you know, not always do we get to go back and say, wow, what I really, what he taught them actually kind of worked. Like they were, <laughs> they were listening that. So that, that's a, that's a great blessing as a parent to hear those things. And if I'm hearing you right, like I, I can see a few things that you're, that you're doing um, that have, that have helped your kids to have those experiences and to be able to express that to you. I mean, it started out with, you know, you talked at the beginning about example, you know, that we can set the example for our children of how to use the atonement um, in our lives. And like your dad set the example for you of compassion and, and caring for others and trying to be Christ-like, um, and using the scriptures. So it to, in our teaching and using the spirit and being guided by the spirit and not lecturing and telling them what they should do, but pointing them to, to God for that. So I would love to know a little bit more about teaching from the scriptures. Like how much of that do you think in your home was, very formal, like we sit down every day at this time and we do scripture reading. How, mu how much of it was just in the car? You know, you, you share a story or, you know, a more of an informal way. How did that look? Well, it, it was both. And, I, and I'll tell you this way, over the, over the last, the better part of 30 years, we have read the scriptures as a family for 30 minutes a day. And so that part of it was intentional and formal. But that reading was not... Now sit down and be quiet and listen, and, and now you're going to read and you're going to read. What it was was um, we, we, we asked kids and required them to be there. Look, this is what we do as a family. I've often told them that you don't have to believe any of this it, because you get to choose. And so my job, though, and I take it seriously, is that I have an obligation per the scriptures and the brethren and the, and the family proclamation to teach you. So while you're in my home, this is the best way I know how. If you have some better ideas, I would be happy to hear them and talk with you about them. But we're going to read the scriptures together. So you got to be there and you got to show up. And, and sometimes you're half asleep and sometimes you're fully asleep, whatever. But, but the impact of that is we never tried to be too hardcore, you know, sit up straight and you're reading this person. Because then they, they equate that, especially as they become teenagers, they equate that with nothing very positive. So we would read the scriptures, but we'd also use that time to ask questions. What, what do you think that means to this? Why, why would he say it that way? And how does that relate? Do you know any other examples like this? So depending on where they were in their life, they had uh, way more input. What we were trying to do is engage them, not just preach it to them or read it to them, but get them to start thinking about how the questions were answered and, and what was going on at that time. And so there was some intentional formal approach to it, but was also very informal in the sense that it was a discussion. Many times we would take a, a lot of time to get through a chapter or two just because there was a good discussion that had gone on about it and, and some contrary opinions and views about what it meant. And, and we were fine with all of that. We want you to think for yourself. And to, to the, the most important thing we're trying to get you to do is look at the scriptures, to, for you to go and look at the scriptures and want to find those answers and have that thing. And so the more we can engage you in them, uh, rather than just read them to you, the, the better. Yeah. Was there, was there anything that you did that helped them to go out then have that their own personal experience? 
the scriptures? Well, that's a great question. I, I know that many of our kids have had those experiences. The really rewarding thing for me is to have my daughter, uh, who's now in the Philippines, call and, and repeat back to me something that I told her eight years ago or that we talked about in scriptures that I totally that she reminded me of and said, remember when you, we talked about this or you said that now it made a connection in what she's doing. And so, so I, I don't think it was really intentional. Okay. I'm going to set up a thing where you mm -hmm. now have this experience. I'm just going to show them from my actions. They know that I love the scriptures and that I read the scriptures and, and that we, I find great value in them. And as a result of that, I, I think, I hope that they, feel the same way and we'll go and do it. So I, I don't know that there was a formal thing. Now we're going to do this. So you apply it. Right. It was kind of let the spirit direct. Which, which I, which I think is pretty effective with yeah, it, well, it, he's, because he's they, a lot better than me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they don't like to be preached to all the time. You know, they, you they really turn them off. I, I, I tell you the genius of, of church leadership. We, uh, with young men and young women advisors and bishops is that you have a person who is hopefully telling them the exact same thing that you would tell them only because of your association being too close, they will listen during those formative teenage years. They will listen. I've had tons of parents tell me, thanks so much for helping that kid because he was a mess and he will listen to me, even though if I was his parent, he wouldn't have listened to me ever. But, yeah. but since I'm not that, that, partnership in working together is a huge benefit and the scriptures can do the same. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I really love all of that. Um, so if, the, if there's a, if there's someone who is just struggling and they just feel like they're losing their kid spiritually and they don't know what to do, what would be your, like, is there like one piece of advice you would give them? Well, yeah, there is, there, there's, um, First off, remember that we have agency. Mm -hmm. We get to choose. Do not allow what your neighbors think of you to determine how you parent. Don't think of what your ward members think of you to determine how you parent. Remember that every one of us, this is culturally sometimes we're hard on each other because we have this we have this sense that, well, you know, Johnny's doing this and this boy's look at his haircut and boy, he's so faithful and whatever else. And why aren't you that way? And, and it's a reflection of us. Never let your own self-esteem and self-worth be tied to what your kids do because they aren't you. And so if you get in that game, you can lose. And women are famous for this. Mm -hmm. they, yeah. they feel so much frustration and angst because they're, well, we, you know, he's, doing something crazy and whatever. And, and so it's important to understand that he is an individual. And so how's the best way that I know to do that? The, in the book, what I learned from reading the scriptures a lot to try and understand what it is, is there are three principles. The first one is love. Everything that God does for us is not a benefit to him. That scriptures talk about being an unprofitable servant. He doesn't need us. There's nothing he did. He did it because he loved us and loved the opportunity to give us a chance to progress. When we see that in our kids, we change the relationship because if we don't have a connection with them, we can't teach them anything. The best teachers you've ever had in your life were people who you know loved and respected you and, and as a result of that, you loved and respected them. And so the first thing you can do is show them 
absolute love and support. And, and even when you're not condoning behavior, you tell them, you know, we, we still hold you accountable. Love isn't, doesn't mean complete uh, toleration of all kinds of bad things. It just means that you, they know that you love them and care about them. That changes hearts so that they can start to understand um, what you're teaching. And, and they'll be way more inclined to do that. And so make sure that that relationship exists with your child and then focus on teaching them so that they can make the decisions based on what you're teaching. Because the third part of that is allowing them to choose. So love them, teach them, let them choose. And, and those three things, even when you allow them to choose and you know that they might choose wrong, love doesn't change. You're still gonna love them. You're not gonna condone the bad behavior. You're not gonna cover for them you're still going to love them. And that's exactly what I think God does to us. I do dumb things all the time. And I, the next day I can feel his love. And when I am repentant and understand it, and that's what we need to do when they come back and they're ready to do something different. We need to encourage that and love them and support them. The other thing I would do is make sure that they know that you are in this with them. One of the most effective tools I've ever used with teenagers is to apologize. When, when I did something or I was a little bit angry or I was a little bit unchristlike for whatever reason, even if they had done something that probably I felt like justified some sort of, you know, uh, whatever discipline or reprimand, uh, I would go to their room usually at night when things were calmed down some and they would be getting ready for bed and say, hey, I'm sorry. What I did was that I'm like you. I'm trying to learn to repent and to be better. And I screw up sometimes. And... I want you to know that I love you. I love you dearly. And then that's it, it, an awful, a lot of times an emotional thing for me because then you realize, because when you say that out loud, you feel what you really feel for them and they feel it and they know it. And now they stop thinking of being, well, they, they're trying to control me. They, they look at us in the same way. Hey, we're in this together. You're only a few years behind me. You're going to go through the same experience as I am. And so all I'm trying to do is help you with that. And today I did a dumb thing and didn't do it the right way. And I don't want you to have to follow that example. I want you to do it better and, and you'll be better at it. You make that connection with them, then they're ready to be taught. And once they're ready to be taught, then they can start making choices. And they'll generally be better for it. Yeah, I love that. I think we, I think sometimes I know for me personally, I've gotten it mixed up. Like the teaching has been the most important part and the love has come second and you right. can't have it that way. And I love that you're, you know, what you're saying about asking for forgiveness and apologizing and using repentance in front, you know, showing our children that we need it too, as is an ex example that will, will help them to know, okay, my mom and dad aren't perfect, but I have someone who is perfect and I can use what he's given me to come closer to him. And I, I think that is such an important and, and great way to teach about what the savior did for us is to use it in your own life and let them see that, let them see you having faith and exercising repentance and, you know, using the sacrament and all of those things. Exactly. If, yeah. if they see what, that we believe it and that we're doing it, they will be more inclined to believe it and do it as well. Yeah, and it's not just uh, us preaching to them all the time. That's that's really great. Well, I I have loved talking with you and really appreciate um, just everything that you've shared. I think it will be so helpful. And 
I'm grateful for the for the things that I'm learning from talking to you. So thank you so much for that. Just to conclude, would you just share share with me your testimony of Jesus Christ? I'll try. <laughs> um, I'm putting you on the spot. It's, um, you know, the, the beauty of, um, um, well, it's hard to say this in the right way, but I'm not that bright and, and I'm not, there's nothing too magnificent about me. I have always known and felt that, that I needed a savior, that I, he had to be part of my life because I fully committed. I absolutely believe that without repentance and, and without that atoning sacrifice that I know what state I'm in and, and the capacity and the willingness that he has and had to do what he did for me is beyond my comprehension. I, to think that he was willing to go through what he went through solely for each of us um, is unbelievable. I mean, it's, it is a powerful thing. And when I think of him, when I read the scriptures and I see those experiences, it's really powerful to me. Some, some time ago, I loved reading history in the church. And some time ago, I read about Phoebe Woodruff, who was the first wife of Wilfred Woodruff, who joined the church when she was 20 years old and left her family, much to their chagrin, and went to Nauvoo and, and there became, later became the wife of uh, Philip, of, of President Woodruff, Wilfred. Anyway, she she spent her uh, life following him around to mission, doing missions. She had uh, I have to remember now and reread his stuff. I think she had uh, six or seven children or eight or nine children born in that time. Four or five of them died while she was traveling back and forth. And and of those four or five, they they were only four or five years old. And she buried them in four different states uh, in shallow graves across the United States as they were going back and forth. And as I read that, I thought, wow, how do I ever be in the presence of Phoebe and say, yeah, look, Heavenly Father, what I did, you know, I, I fulfilled this. And then a, a, a vision came to me about, it wasn't a real vision, but a, a clear mm -hmm. spiritual thing that Phoebe gave everything that she had. And each of us give everything that we have. Like the rich young man, he kept all the commandments and the Lord said, if thou would be perfect, then give away all that you have and come and follow me. And that was too much for him to handle. And so I look at myself and I know that's what the Savior did. His capacity was 10 million times bigger than mine, and he gave it all. Drawn out, beat down, through the wine press, he gave every last thing that he had in our behalf. And I look at that and I go, I don't know that I'm there. <laughs> I don't know that I could do that. And so in the process, I recognize I am happy to kneel before him and say, you are the, you're the one, you did that. And I want to be part of that thing. And so my testimony is, is that he's real. And that what he did is so far beyond what we have the capacity or that I have the capacity to do that I'm, I'm in. I am believed in the Savior. I know that he lives. I have felt his presence. That love I have felt over and over in my life. His direction in the lives of people that I've counseled with or seen in the streets, I feel it and I know it is very real. And so if we seek him, we, we will seek to, to bless our lives for all eternity. And I, I guess that's my testimony. He's real. He lives. And, and, we can, and he allows us to, be, uh, to have access to him. And that's remarkable to me. 
Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you so much. I just really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your insights. Thanks for having me. hope you enjoyed the podcast. And if you did share it with a friend, I would love it if you would leave a review and rate it on Apple podcasts. This actually helps more moms to find the podcast and to gain confidence in their ability to hear and follow God's voice in motherhood. For show notes, resources, and information about courses to help you be more spiritually minded, head over to spirituallymindedmom.com. For more motherhood inspiration, follow along on Instagram at spirituallymindedmom. Have an amazing day and remember, you are a beloved daughter of heavenly parents who want you to succeed and who want to be your partner in motherhood.